This is the World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. Ukrainian forces struck the occupied city of Melitopol in the southeast with a missile barrage. Ukraine also reported that Russian drone attacks had severed power from all but the most critical infrastructure in the southern port city of Odessa. Both sides need more arms. Ukraine's ambassador in Berlin told Weltem Sontag, a newspaper, that Germany would send more ammunition and weaponry. Meanwhile, Russia's former president, Dmitry Medvedev, said that his country was increasing arms production to protect itself from enemies in the West. NASA's Orion spacecraft returned safely to Earth, concluding the 26-day Artemis I mission to orbit the Moon. The unmanned capsule re-entered the atmosphere at 40,000 kilometers per hour before making a gentle, parachute-assisted splash in the Pacific Ocean. Future missions are expected to carry astronauts, as the American Space Agency seeks to put humans back on the surface of the Moon. The FBI arrested Abu Aguila Massoud, a Libyan man accused of making the bomb that blew up a Pan Am flight over the Scottish town of Lockerbie in 1988. The terror attack killed 270 people. Mr. Massoud, who was charged for alleged involvement two years ago, was reportedly kidnapped by a militia group in Libya last month and will now be extradited to America, where he will face prosecution. One of the European Parliament's 14 elected vice presidents was arrested by Belgian police on suspicion of having taken bribes from an unnamed country. Eva Kaili, a member of Greece's center-left coalition, was expelled by her party after police swept up cash worth about €600,000 in raids around Brussels. Unattributed sources told two Belgian outlets that Miss Kylie had been suborned by Qatar. Tens of thousands of Bangladeshis marched in Dhaka, the capital, calling for the resignation of Sheikh Hasina, the prime minister, and for early elections. The demonstrations were organized by the opposition Bangladesh Nationalist Party, which says the government has failed to tackle high fuel prices. Mrs. Hasina called opposition leaders arson terrorists. The next elections are due in 2023. Three human rights groups, one each from Belarus, Russia, and Ukraine, accepted the Nobel Peace Prize in Stockholm. The director of Memorial, a venerable Russian group that was banned last year, said he had been ordered by Russian authorities to refuse the award. The Belarusian award was collected by the wife of a jailed leader. She said it was Russia's intent to transform Ukraine into a dependent dictatorship like her own country. Football World Cup Football is not coming home to England after they were knocked out by France, the reigning champions. Meanwhile, Morocco beat Portugal 1-0 to reach the semi-finals, becoming the first African team ever to reach that late stage of the tournament. Portugal's loss was the latest in a series of upsets in Qatar. And fact of the day. $56 billion, the projected value in 2030 
of the global market for webtoons, a type of South Korean cartoon. And now here's a deeper look at the day ahead. The EU's strenuous series of summits. Ukraine will once again focus the minds of the EU's 27 foreign ministers as they gather in Brussels on Monday. National leaders will also convene later in the week. The bloc is looking to adopt its ninth sanctions package against Russia, adding nearly 200 individuals and three banks to its blacklist. It also wants to send 18 billion euro, 19 billion dollars, in financial aid to Ukraine. This may prove tricky. Both the sanctions and the aid require the unanimous approval of EU governments, but Hungary and its autocratic prime minister, Viktor Orban, have threatened to veto both dossiers unless Brussels releases billions of euros in funding earmarked for Hungary. The EU is holding back over concerns around corruption and the independence of the judiciary. The week will be spent trying to cajole Mr. Orban into the deal, or finding a way to sidestep Hungary, such as by adopting the measures multilaterally. In either case, the summits could quickly turn hot-tempered. India's largest winemaker goes public. India is hardly wine country. In most places, intense heat hinders production. Many of the country's states limit or prohibit the sale of alcohol. And where it is allowed, Indians prefer the harder stuff of whiskey and country liquor. But a growing affluent class is acquiring a taste for wine. Over the next three years, the value of India's wine sales currently worth $160 million, is expected to grow by 23% annually. Much of that is down to Sula Vineyards, which launches on Mumbai's stock market, the BSE, at a valuation of $353 million on Monday. It established its vineyards in 1999 in Nashik, 160 kilometers northeast of Mumbai, and has combined clever marketing which includes running an annual dance music festival with sweeter-than-mainstream wines that cater to local tastes. Other vineyards have followed, but Sula still holds more than half the domestic market. Despite turbulence in financial markets that has caused recent IPOs in India to flop, Sula's owners are hoping that investors will nonetheless take a swig. Mexico's president goes after the electoral body. A controversial electoral reform package, which in mid-November sparked the biggest protests since Andrés Manuel López Obrador became president in 2018, will this week be debated, and perhaps passed, by Mexico's Senate. The reform, which the lower house rushed through last week, would undermine Mexico's electoral authority, INE, cutting its budget and weakening its ability to punish breaches of electoral law. Rules on campaigning and propaganda by public servants would also be loosened. Even though Mr. López Obrador had to water down his initial constitutional reform, for lack of the necessary two-thirds majority in Parliament, he would see any strike at the INE as a win. 
He has long alleged, against all evidence, that he lost elections in 2006 and 2012 because the body endorsed fraudulent results, but the reform would be a loss for Mexico. The authoritarian rule of the Institutional Revolutionary Party ended in 2000, after seven decades, thanks to the electoral framework painstakingly built during Mexico's transition to democracy. Britain's Cranky Labor Force Britain's weary of the train strikes that have uprooted their daily routines since June will have no holiday respite. The RMT, a trade union representing the country's transport workers, plans five more work stoppages over the next month. The RMT's members are unlikely to accept the latest pay offer from their bosses in a ballot that ends on Monday. The union has encouraged them to reject the deal. Labor unrest is seeping across Britain. Nurses will undertake their largest ever strike on December 15th and December 20th. Midwives will decide on Monday whether to hold their own walkout. Some civil servants, some baggage handlers at Heathrow Airport and Eurostar security staff also stop work this week. December is on track to become Britain's most disrupted month since 1989. Double-digit inflation is largely the culprit as workers battle for larger pay increases to keep pace with the cost of living, as the economy as a whole also slows down. Homage to an Age-Old Tale This week, a tribute to Beauty and the Beast, Disney's animated film of 1991, will be shown on ABC and Disney+. It will feature clips from the musical, showing off its sumptuous blend of hand-drawn and digital art, and tunes performed by an all-star cast. The film's best-known song declares the story to be a tale as old as time. It is indeed rather old. A version may have existed in oral form 4,000 years ago. In 1740, Gabriel Suzanne de Villeneuve, a French novelist, penned a long account of a reclusive beast and the young woman who falls in love with him. Sixteen years later, Jean-Marie Le Ponce de Beaumont turned that work into a short fairy tale. Since then, it has been adapted into umpteen films. Disney even released a live-action remake starring actors in 2017, as well as operas and plays. Its themes of prejudice, outward appearances, and female independence have resonated through the ages. Daily Quiz Our baristas will serve you a new question each day this week. On Friday, your challenge is to give us all five answers and, as important, tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 1700 GMT on Friday to quizespresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown three winners on Saturday. Monday. Which Alexander Dumas story focuses on the wrongly imprisoned Edmund Dantes. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Gustave Flaubert, who was born on this day in 1821. What is beautiful is moral.
That is all there is to it. That's The World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.